Welcome to Women Wanting Women, where we explore topics that matter to women like us. We talk about being a woman, attracting women, and becoming more powerful women by developing more self-confidence and always reaching for the next level in our self-actualization. I'm your hostess, lesbian love coach Jordana Michelle. And if you're interested in finally finding the woman of your dreams, so you can be best friends who learn and grow together, share dreams together, have adventures together, and share passion and intimacy together, then also check out my website, womenwantingwomen.com, because it's packed with resources that can help you, including my guide to quickly and easily eliminate rejection from your life, a how-to guide for finding your lesbian soulmate, a quiz to find out what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you meet her, a report that explains the three biggest mistakes most women make when coming out and how to avoid them, and a matchmaking survey you can fill out in case I already know the woman of your dreams. All of that is free at womenwantingwomen.com. And if you want lesbian dating advice from me more often, follow me on Instagram at jordana.michelle. But before we go any further, I have a question. Have you ever felt left out of queer female spaces? Have you ever been stabbed in the back by someone you thought was your friend? Have you ever wondered why women tend to undermine each other instead of supporting each other? Well, in this episode of Women Wanting Women, I talk about all that and much more with Liz Cully, the host of queer pop culture podcast, Cool, Cool, Cool. You can find more about Liz on Instagram at TalkToLiz, but before you do, stick around for the hysterical stories and wise insights she shares with us here. Liz, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm so excited you're here. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Me too. Thank you for inviting me. I was very excited when I saw you pop up in my DMs. I still can't believe, you know, anybody ever wants to have me on their show. So I am flattered and humbled and very grateful. Well, I'm, I'm sure my audience is going to really appreciate your wisdom. Starting with one very specific reason is that you're, you consider yourself bisexual, um, if I'm right, mm-hmm. right? That's how you identify? Mm-hmm. Yes, though, though I learned what um, omnisexual was, and I think I might be that. But I, for all intents and purposes, yes, bisexual. Well, what does omni mean before I go forward? Omnisexual, from what my goddaughter told me is you're attracted to everyone but from a relationship perspective you tend to prefer one binary gender like so for instance it's basically how she described it to me and of course now I'm not describing it properly but so I consider myself bisexual but I think from a relationship standpoint I feel my most self and I felt the most in love holistically with women So my goddaughter told me that I'm omnisexual because even though I'm attracted sexually to men, I would prefer relationships with women. So I guess that's omnisexual. I, you know, I just follow, I try to follow the, 
what up with what the kids are telling me. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I had uh, at least one or one or more exes who felt that way, that they really didn't want to be in a relationship with a guy, but in the times when they're single and they felt like they wanted to get some, if there was a guy around that would do the trick uh, kind of just as much, not for a relationship, but for physical needs. Hmm. Got it. Um, yeah, that, that tracks. All right. Well, all right. So, but still without having to like parse words, a lot of lesbians would be too afraid. They say that they're too afraid to date a, some, a woman who considers themselves bisexual because of fear that they're going to be left for a man, for, they're going to be left for a man. I guess with you, that mm-hmm. doesn't, that's not, I guess if you only want to be in a relationship with a woman, then that kind of answers the question right there. Well, no, I'm happy to answer that. I mean, I think, listen, when I was first publicly kind of dating women and really allowing myself um, around the age of 25, I had, and I'll clarify, I had been sexually intimate with women pr- prior to 25, but I had never really thought that I could ever go out on a date with a girl. Do you know what I mean? I was like, how do I do it? What do I do? You know, back then there was like, okay, Cupid. And I set my profile to being open to everyone. And I was so excited about it. So that was really the time that I put myself in queer female spaces. And I was hesitant to label myself as a bisexual because there is this, um, you know, old age kind of stigma around it that you're just kind of there for the fetish, fetish, fetishization. Whoop, that's, that was a tough one of women, which I think in, in culture, you know, we do fetishize lesbian sex, right? And, and I had two at that point. I had only kept it as something, you know, I would do in a threesome or a one-off situation. I hadn't thought that I could have a real, you know, hot-blooded lesbian relationship, um, which I really wanted. So I wouldn't really talk about bisexuality. And I remember even moving down to Los Angeles later that year at 25 years old, which now is almost coming on 12 years, where I would go to, there was way more lesbian parties back then, but there was a party called Booby Trap, um, which was amazing. And if anybody's listening that went to that, what a time. And I remember talking to somebody and they were kind of talking, this group of lesbians really talking like shit. Oh, can I curse on this podcast? Yeah, yeah. I, I won't if you don't want me to. Sorry, I'm such a cursor. Don't worry about it. Okay. Sorry, everybody. Um, so I remember listening to them putting down this bisexual person that they knew saying, oh, you know, she's not like real, like you got to be really careful dating her because she's going to hurt you because she's going to just leave you for a guy. And I remember listening to that and being like, shit, well, maybe I shouldn't say anything because I, I so desperately wanted to be taken considered seriously enough within female queer spaces for anyone to want to date me for real and not just have sex with me. So it's definitely something that I think has been a journey. I I have found myself in times where I wouldn't call, I kind of use lesbian and bisexual interchangeably, I think because I am in a committed long-term, you know, to um, identifying women relationship. I'm married to a woman who identifies as such. So I think I use it interchangeably, but it took a lot of time and I think confidence in my relationship now to be able to be like, well, no, I don't want to discredit the good sex or the, the feelings that I've had towards 
you know, cis men. Like, why? Like, I shouldn't have to. It doesn't have anything to do with my wife. It has to do with me. So it's been a journey. Sorry if I answered that in a long-winded way. <laughs> no, I think everything you're saying makes sense. And I. it seems to me in a world where there are women who identify as bisexual that yet still want to have a loving, a deep, loving, committed relationship with another female. And that's what she's yearning for the way that you were clearly yearning for that when you were in these queer spaces and wondering whether or not you should be candid about the fact that you've had good sex with men. You know, it makes me wonder with, I understand why women would be afraid because there's definitely other women who are different from you that they maybe what they, they could be the opposite. They're omnisexual, but in the other direction, like, yes, they could have sex Mm -hmm. with women, but actually ultimately they want a relationship with a man. But I think that there's a distinction between the two. And I think to discount anyone who can have good sex with a man just because of that fear in a world where it's, you know, it's hard enough for us to meet somebody. Um, I still think hot lesbians are everywhere. I still think that, you know, I don't be- I don't buy into the scarcity mentality that that um, finding love is impossible for queer women. But I think where it's already we're already a minority. Why discount? Why discount an entire portion? But I guess we should call them the omnisexuals who are who ultimately do want to have relationships with women because then you don't have to be afraid of them leaving you for a man. Yeah, and I think things have really changed. I mean, listen, no one has it harder than a bisexual man <laughs> because they are never taken seriously. You know, I've had and I keep trying to um, for my own show, see if I can book more bisexual men on my show, because I think that especially with the misogyny that not only us as women have to deal with every day, but men who don't fit into that that role that feels comfortable for our like patriarchal misogynistic fucking culture excuse my language that's tough for them as well but yeah no I I think it's I I I would urge people to at least have a conversation about where people are at versus just kind of immediately casting a label or not entertaining possibility because everybody is at a different place with their sexuality, I think. And it changes throughout time, you know? And they should have that question whether they're gay or straight. Because just because someone considers themselves a lesbian doesn't mean that they're going to be open to commitment. That they're going to be a partner that's not eventually going to leave you for some other reason. Yeah, look at Shane. Shane can't keep, you know, her shit together. Right, it's not because she's bisexual. <laughs> no. All right, so from your perspective as a bisexual person, what do you think is different about attracting women compared to attracting men? Oh, God. Well, I think attracting women is really hard. I really struggled. I still struggle. I never really feel very confident in female queer spaces ever. Like, I, and maybe it's this like deep insecurity I can't get over, but I just don't feel like I am what queer women want, like ever. Um, So (laughs) maybe that's my own personal thing that I definitely have spent thousands of dollars in therapy discussing. But men, I think, I've also struggled with attracting men because I don't think I have always conformed to, again, what I think this kind of stereotypical docile woman that is displayed in literature, film, and TV for so long that, like, men are supposed to be attracted to, you know? 
And so there's that kind of struggle, right? Where I'm right. So it's like I'm neither what the straight guys want me to be, nor what the queer females want me to be, kind of a thing. That's really how I've felt like my whole life, if I'm being honest. And you know, with women, um, I just I kind of just had to like be myself. Like, listen, I I travel on two modes. I'm either high, 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 borderline drag femme I love anything that sparkles the higher the heel give it to me like give me a gown I'm ready or like I'm dressed right now I'm like in a my favorite Tupac t-shirt in leggings no makeup and you know my hair is a wreck so I'm like one or the other and so I think in the queer female spaces I was like oh my god do I really need to femme it up and like we'll only because then that's the whole next level right it's like we'll only kind of you know non-binary or more male presenting quote um lesbians be into me because I'm high femme and like can I not attract other high femme lesbians because I don't have like a type I know that kind of happens sometimes I think in the queer female world I like I'm into everybody you know I love a high femme I love a tomboy I love non-binary like give me a like a butch like I'm down like I see beauty is so layered so I'm that's that is also very confusing for me because you know really feminine uh, lesbians wouldn't be very attracted to me so I'm like trying to kind of like find common ground you know no but there are plenty of there are plenty of feminine lesbians that like other femmes, but you're right. You are as a high femme. There is there tends to be more of the the other side of the spectrum that would then go for you in our community. Yeah, again, and I think a lot of it probably has to do with my own confidence and and those sort of issues. So for me, I would always try to find like common ground with women and relate that way right so if it was another high femme woman I'd be like oh my god I love your shoes or I'm into this like you know we would kind of find a common ground and that's pretty superficial until you can you know I'm thinking of being in a bar or at a show or whatever you gotta start somewhere exactly and then you can kind of continue to go deeper with but then when I I felt like with more you know those that are like more butch or non-binary, I wouldn't have to, it would be more of this similar cat and mouse, like, mm, like I would try to be a little sexier, you know, kind of play to that, which is silly. Right, play to the polarity in some way. Exactly. Yeah, and then with men, you know, I gotta be honest, I usually just like treat them mean, keep them keen. Like, Guys, I mean, even last night, I, was, I mean, and I'm just a flirt by nature, but I was at the, I was at a Playboy, if you can believe it. A woman I used to date who's gorgeous, who's actually femme, so like everything I'm saying is wrong. I first met her when I lived in Los Angeles. She's married to another femme. She's stunning. She works at Playboy. So I was at this like Playboy fucking party last night, and I'm like with these guys, and I was just like, I don't know. I was like, meh, men are trash. I'm not into it. You know, and I think negging always is kind of how I um I related to men and it would work and then sometimes it wouldn't but um and actually I will say lots of gorgeous gorgeous um butch lesbians last night at the playboy party let me tell you but when you're flirting in that kind of using the polarity of your femininity with more non-binary or butch women you don't bring any of that meanness into it though right because they're they're women and you treat them a little because they're women yeah. Yeah. Can't do it. You know? Yeah. Can't do it. 
I remember when I first started dating women and suddenly this kind of high sensitivity to their sensitivity came online. Whereas back in my days with guys, I don't think I was so worried about hurting them the way that when it was when I was dealing with girl with women, I really took on that sensitivity all of a sudden. It's, it's funny that you mention it. Yeah. Although I don't think I ever thought to myself, treat them mean, keep them keen, but that's cute. <laughs> I mean, you can do that with a variety of different... But I, do, I, I treat kids like that. I treat them mean, keep them keen. Kids love me. I'm not mean to kids, but I'm very boundaried and firm with kids, and I don't baby talk them. And let me tell you, if there's a kid any 30 feet away from me, it will find me. It will want to talk to me. They will want... It's just, it's just how it is. So when you talk about meanness, there's something about boundaries in there too, a firmness to it. Yeah, I mean, my God, I don't think I've ever been very boundaried with women. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, that's something I'm married to a therapist. So boundaries are something I only really just learned about in the last six years or so, seven years when she went back to school. Better late than never. True. It's interesting what you said about finding common ground with when you're trying to connect with women who are femme like you. Mm -hmm. Can you talk more about that, how women can go about finding, I guess in a bar, it's just sort of early comments, but I think there, there's something to that, right? That we as humans are more comfortable with people that we can relate to. So I think that's really good advice. Yeah. You know, I try to do that as much as I can. You know, I think whether it's in a dating scenario, a business scenario, a, you know, me even interviewing people scenario, you you got we're all we're all not that different and i think if we can kind of think about you know our lives and how things affect us and it can be as simple as like i love italian food i mean if you were like liz sit right here and talk about your love for italian food for 45 minutes i probably could i probably could do that and if you know i think even little light things like that or it it really neutralizes things and I think humanizes the situation. I think the biggest place I've struggled is finding a queer, particularly a queer female friend group. That was always really tough for me, especially since I felt like I didn't come out until I was later. Even now, I have these kind of peripheral friends, and I always call them my like young lesbians, and they're they are they're so cute, and they just seem like they have fun every weekend, and I feel kind of lame, but I'm always like, please invite me. I know I'm married, and I like have my dog, and I live in the suburbs now, but like don't forget me, you know. Um, so finding common ground, even if it's not going to lead to something romantic, I think is, I think it's not that hard to do, because. Again, like pick pizza. Like who doesn't like pizza? And if they don't like pizza, don't talk. Like run away. They're a monster. Like get out of there fast. You can even be gluten-free or vegan and like pizza. You know what I mean? So things like that I think um, can be nice icebreakers to see, you know, how you can kind of keep going deeper and deeper. Right. There's so many things in this world that we all love, whether it's pizza or puppies or, you know, sunshine. Yeah, like if they don't like puppies and pizza, let me tell you, they're a monster. Like, get out of there. Run. Stay away from those people. But you're right. And we're not that different. And it's a good playbook to be trying to figure out as you're connecting with someone, being curious about the ways in which you're similar and the, the things you can find about them where there is common ground. 
I, I, I had a very similar experience to you where I found it really hard to find a queer female friend group at first or just any, you know, I would go to the lesbian bars when I first came out and I started spending time with people that I was meeting there. But for the first couple, I mean, definitely first bunch of months, but even the first couple years really felt like if these people weren't also gay, I wouldn't be here hanging out with them right now. Mm. You know, I hadn't yet found people that I wanted to be with just because I loved them so much that I would have called them up anyway. Uh, it took a whole bunch of years till I was able to really curate a whole group of, of people. And we're not like, I don't, I'm, I'm not a group of friends type. So I, there's sort of one individual here and one individual there. But I'm the exact same way as you. Yeah. I'm the same way. I, and I've, I've felt quite a bit of um, insecurity about that, if I'm being honest. Like not having that friend group, I, I've that I struggle with. I legitimately just did a, a episode that I'm putting together now is actually all about that, like not having that group. I think it comes from when we're younger and how deep you roll, and it sort of determines your status when you're younger, determines mm -hmm. all kinds of stuff about who you know popularity and who likes us back and how other girls see us. Um, when we're younger so it makes sense that at this age we could have the same sort of insecurities even though we're not in middle school anymore yeah that's literally I mean again so much therapy over here so yes all of that is where it stems from and so that's why I think it's even more complicated sometimes when you are trying to date another woman because it's like all those middle school feelings being left out, not being invited to the sleepover, not going to the party, like all that stuff that I went through, it doesn't go away. I kind of famously don't forgive anybody I went to elementary school with. It has come <laughs> up on many a podcast where I'm like, no, I like hate you. Like, no, I don't forgive you. Don't care. And I run into people here and there I just found out recently I, I recently read my diaries from eighth grade to freshman year of college on my podcast which 10 out of 10 don't recommend don't read that diary don't just don't if you have it keep it away if it's at your parents house just, just leave, leave it, it closed leave it closed leave it closed don't do it you don't want to go back there it's painful right no god I had so much trauma it was just really a bummer but I just had a dm from a, a a young girl who's so mean to me who listened to it and she's like hey I just want to apologize to you for being you know mean she shoved me into a window <laughs> I don't forget that and I wrote her back I'm like hey thanks for reaching out but I, I didn't say I accept your apology. I'm like, no, you're a monster. Because here's the thing. I wasn't mean to people growing up. I wasn't a mean kid. I was being bullied pretty badly, but I wasn't mean. So, no, I don't forgive you. And you're probably still a jerk. Sorry. <laughs> I just don't. Like, I don't, I don't think that's an excuse. And, again, clearly I have not processed my deep sadness and anger, but I just don't. I actually think that if you're a mean little kid, you're likely going to be a mean adult. And, you know, I've, I've been researching for that episode. A, a lot of um, behavioral therapists and, um, and other professionals that really look at childhood development talking about how much of your personality is formed by a certain age. And I'm, I, you don't change. Like, you really don't change that much. You do a little. But, like, 
I'm kind of, I've been talking to a lot of people that knew me as a child. I'm like, am I a lot different? They're like, no, you're the same. You're just like, your voice is a little deeper and like, you got a big butt. Like, other than that, I'm the same as I was at eight. So I don't, I don't really, um, yeah, no, I don't accept anybody's apology that was mean to me as a kid. Yeah, those are really uh, tough and upsetting years. And what's so funny is when I read relationship theories about people who have like attached, uh, different attachment styles, like, you know, mm-hmm. anxious attachment versus secure sure. attachment. Anytime that I ever felt, like when I look back on my times I've ever felt anxious, you know, my parents are super, super, super into each other. They were, we have a really close knit family. They're really into us. But there were times when I felt really insecure and I realized that it had more to do with girls being mean to me when I was younger than it ever had to do with relationship dynamics with my primary caregivers at home. I think that stuff cuts Mm. really deep and learning how to be confident with women in the face of those kinds of memories was one of the toughest things for me about coming out and having to date women to begin with. So I I think it's really cool. I'm excited to hear that episode when you come out with it. (laughs) yeah I mean and it's and it's nice to hear that you have a similar background again that's like kind of when I go I mean not that you need to be at the bar like talking about childhood trauma which by the way don't put it past me I've done it I'll do it I'm like the weirdo at the dinner table being like who wants to talk about childhood trauma (laughs) because I talk about it a lot but it does it's nice to have that common ground like you and I we don't really know each other like we live totally different lives West Coast, you know, like wherever, but we've had a similar experience that's really, you know, shaped who we are. So I could sit here and talk about that all day with you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Although I'm still, I have stuck in my head what you mentioned about how people don't change. I, I think that nice people will always be nice people, but I do think it's possible. I know that when I was little, when I look back on my life, there were definitely things that at the time I wasn't sensitive enough to realize that I was being mean. Mm. And if I could go back with my adult sensitivity, I never would have done those things again. So I think that mean people probably, if you're really mean-spirited, you're probably always mean-spirited. But I do think it is possible that some kids, when we're younger, we're just sort of going, we're not really understanding the impact we're having in those moments because we're young, because we're stupid, because we don't know yet. And it is possible that um, some of the things that were happening around you weren't necessarily all done out of meanness, although probably could be a lot of it was. And I don't think I, I don't think there's like a lot of people who have mean memories of me, but I know there are certain situations that looking back, I could have been better and the person I am today never would have done that. No, and I hope, I mean, of course, I'm totally being obnoxious by being so firm in that. I, I think you're right. I mean, listen, we've all done... I mean, I like put my brother through a laundry shoot. Like I, that was not safe. That was not nice. I shouldn't have done that. I, you know, I'm talking about true. Little mean, little nasty. Little mean, little brats that were like mean. I mean, I, let, let me just put it this way. I never ever commented on anybody's body, you know, like I wasn't out there doing that I but again I was a pretty sensitive kid though because kids were mean to me and calling me fat nonstop. so I was like you know and I wasn't being invited I would I would and then I wouldn't and I think um it was so painful for me and the rejection cut so deep 
it trickled into my dating life when I got older. Um, I also was very, I remember moments of being really insecure that I didn't have this kind of idyllic TV, you know, um, 90210 boyfriend all during high school. I didn't have that. And I was like, what is wrong with me? You know? And I think I had to go through things to kind of figure out why that was. But I, I just, I mean, yeah, I just wasn't like a mean, mean, rotten kid. And I just like, I see these people on Facebook with their like lame tech bro husband. I'm like, you're such a bitch. Like, yeah. I knew you were going to end up like that, you know, so whatever. Well, I hope their kids aren't nasty and I hope they're not creating more unhappiness in the world. I hope so, too. I hope so, too. That's all we can hope for. What's interesting what you talked about is the rejection from other girls. I think that as queer humans, as like queer little girls that didn't necessarily know we were queer at the time, at least I didn't. I think it cuts deeper because we want to be liked by girls more than a straight girl would care, I think. You know, mm -hmm. there's still, of course, the typical any creature wants to have high status within their own within their own social group. That's true of any primate. That's true of, you know. So, yeah, those girls would care about what other girls think of them for that reason, but not in the same way that if we, especially for the girls we most want to be friends with because there's something slightly gay about it, I think, in those years. Or at least it was for me because I didn't know I was gay, so. Oh, I totally agree with you. I mean, I sort of joke, there was this one friend, and we're, we're friendly now. We've reconnected as adults, but she went away to boarding school, and I was so mad. I loved her, and I loved her family, and so when I did this diary episode, I read a pack up the passage of like when I found out she was going to boarding school, and I'm like, okay, well, clearly I was like, you're my best friend. You know, I was like so in love with her, right? Like, and that felt like such a loss. And I think you're right. I think when you are a queer kid, even if you don't know it, th there's that, those layers, that compli complicated <laughs> range of emotions where you're like, you're rejecting me, but you're also rejecting my love. You know, it's definitely. Yeah. I think also we want them in a way they don't want us. So I know with the, with the girls I wanted to connect with, I didn't actually want to be their friend. I wanted to be their like best, 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 best friend, you know, yep. in a certain intense way that they weren't feeling and so there was just it's like as if the sense that I wasn't good enough to get the kind of love and connection I wanted from a friend it turns out I didn't want that kind of love and now that I actually once I came out I finally could have girlfriends for the first time like friend friends like real just straight up humans that I'm friends with who are girls because for for the first time I can understand okay these females I, w I want them to be my partner my lover whatever and then these humans are available for a totally different type of connection which is totally. just and I didn't know how to sort between them so I found f connections with females to be a little confusing it was either they like were exactly what I wanted and I, I you know I approached them with a certain kind of intensity that that wasn't ever really matched because I didn't um, have find a connection like that until after I came out mm -hmm. or they I didn't see the value because I was I didn't understand uh, friendship with girls until after I understood myself. Yeah. Um, so yeah, really interesting stuff. Do you think, you know, just in terms of how gr girls can be like so mean to each other, I know you also talked about a girl you once worked with that tried to get you fired. Mm -hmm. I just, I wonder like, do you think that women are, have something about us that makes us less supportive, less welcoming, welcoming of each other compared to guys? 
You know what? I think we don't. I think, again, not to like say these words a thousand times on your podcast, but I think because of the way our patriarchal, misogynistic culture is set up, women feel like they don't have as many opportunities. And so because those opportunities feel scarce, we will claw our way to get what we want and deserve sometimes. And if that means that we can't see a collaborative way of doing so with another person or a woman, we'll just push them out of the way. And, you know, listen, that particular situation was so sad because one, she's a bitch, and two, <laughs> um, that was pure jealousy, and she was jealous of my relationship with our boss, who was a woman, who totally took a liking to me, and I did with her. I have since found out she's also a bitch and a monster, so they they deserve each other. But again, you know, as I got older, especially with work, I've had an an interesting situation where, you know, I have this corporate job, but then I've always been art artistic and, you know, either hosted on radio or podcasts, or I've had a lot of, you know, on-air hosting opportunities. But to be clear, I made all those opportunities myself. Nobody offered them to me. Like almost every single show I've ever done, I've self-produced, I've wrote it, I've figured out how to shoot it. I've spent more of my money ever making my own content ever gets expensive <laughs> it's really expensive it's really really expensive I do not make money on my podcast currently I'm out of pocket I have an incredible you know editor this woman that I pay and I pay her well and I did not negotiate I was like you whatever you want I'm <laughs> all I do is negotiate all day so I feel like when people are like this is my rate I'm like okay should I pay you more um because I hate like everybody haggling with me all the time but I had to make those opportunities for myself. But because I'm kind of in this corporate landscape, I found that a lot of my female coworkers, particularly way more than men, will get really jealous of me and those circumstances. And that is like, for lack of even sounding eloquent, it's just really annoying because the reality of it is no one's handing this to me. I didn't go to a fancy school. I worked my ass off. I was so broke. Like I just, you know, reconnected with a guy um, for my podcast that's out this week. And he, rem I was like, how did I meet you? He's like, you worked in that restaurant. I'm like, oh, that's right. You know, I've always had really hard jobs and many jobs and, and, and worked hard. So I find it really resentful. I, or I find myself being really resentful when I have these altercations with women where they're jealous of me because I'm like that's so unfair well so the question is are they jealous of what you have or are they jealous of what you have inside of you that got you to what you have maybe they're just jealous they didn't have what it takes to to get there I mean I don't know how to answer that yeah I mean I don't think I have enough confidence to ever be like that person's jealous of me I think they're jealous typically of like my success or that I can be on air or that I like and I say this like legitimately rolling my eyes and cringing but that I like have celebrity friends or whatever you know what I mean like I think they're like why does she get to do that and it's like well now that I'm older I'm a little bit more firm and I'm like no I I'm I get this and I do this because I'm doing it nobody's doing and if you want it girl go get it that's actually kind of why I like podcasting 
I talked to Kat Sadler, who's like an idol of mine. She was on E! News very famously. I don't know if you know who she is or about her, but she ended up quitting after 12 years, finding out in 2017 that her male co-worker was making double and a half more than she was, and she very famously quit and was like blackballed for a while. And I really look up to her. Um, she's a broadcaster. She's fabulous. And we had a similar conversation about this, and I'm like – if we all band together a little bit more versus having, you know, these kind of crazy conversations, more in entertainment, think about what could happen. And what I like about podcasting is like, she's pretty big time, but she came on my show and like, I helped her with her. I think there's an interesting thing within the podcast community, especially with um, female identifying podcasters. And then particularly, well, we can talk about the queer podcasts in a minute. I see. You know what? I'm 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 catching myself because I do think there's a little bit of like. Sometimes it's not as collaborative, but I found the podcast world pretty collaborative and less, um, you know, um, mean spirited than other entertainment sectors and even work sectors. I find it. I think we're all. It's such a saturated market, and we're all just trying to get our voice out there and our stories. And so I found it. I found like a nice community there, but. I don't know. I obviously I get heated about it because again it really hurt me and it has been very hurtful when I've had issues with, you know, colleagues, female colleagues where it's like, oh my god, if we just like we're also we're all just making money for men. So I'm like what are we doing? Do you know about bonobos? The what? Bonobos as opposed to chimpanzees, like chimpanzees and bonobos? Oh, I thought you meant the like kind of cute um, shopping store that my gay brother I always get him a gift certificate for Christmas to bonobos no I was talking about the animal that is our closest relative uh, the chimpanzee and the bonobo are our two closest relatives and actually chimpanzees also have patriarchal structured societies and the difference is because the females in the chimpanzee societies aren't as good at bonding but the bonobo the females in the bonobo societies are so good at bonding that what they do is after puberty they leave home they find an unrelated band of females that they join and then all of the females band together and they're the highest status in the community and they don't let any male beat them up they'll all like gang up against any guy who comes near them and it's just the males in that society in the, in the bonobo society are less good at ganging up against the women um, whereas the chimpanzee males are better at ganging up and going to war but we're closely related to both uh, to chimpanzees and bonobos equally they don't know evolutionarily when we all broke off from each other and so I think it's a remaining question of, are we just our own thing and we could go either way? And the reason that everything's structured so patriarchally is because we have the society and we're just all dealing with the consequences of that? Or is it that female humans, just like with female chimps, aren't as good at banding together compared to male humans and the way that male chimps can band together? Or do we have it in us to be like the bonobos and you know cut through the jealousy? I'm curious what you wanted to say. You were talking, you said you'd get into it later about the, the queer podcasting spaces or... Oh, God, probably going to get in trouble for this. I just like, I, when my last show, Scissoring, isn't a thing, I, you know, I primarily booked that show and I just was, I'm, I'm like a golden retriever. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, let's have dinner. Let's go do that. Like I had a couple of work calls this morning and one of my colleagues was like, oh my God, Liz, all you do is ask people out to like coffee or hang out, which by the way, jokes on them because I feel like I never leave my house, but the intention is there. I always, you know, I'm, I'm, um, I love connecting people 
you know, I really, and I don't need anything from it. You know, I, I'm, that's, I just like to do that. And so with the po queer podcasting, it's sort of a bummer because the last show we had commercially was doing pretty well at the time. And so I started to reach out to all these different queer podcasts, particularly like other lesbian podcasters, and I didn't find them to be as friendly. And I'm not going to say names, but, and like they kind of like, would rip us off a little bit it just got like weird and I watch everything nothing gets past me on the internet I am on the internet and so I see things and I just would be like what the fuck like why are they like ripping our you know format or like every time I would have a this just actually happened to me I like well how am I Gaston and like a week later well, how am I and it's just and it would always kind of again I think this all comes back to my childhood experience of not feeling included and feeling left out and feeling like I don't belong, feeling like I don't belong in queer female spaces where I'd be like, well, why aren't you inviting us to be on your show? And like, why won't you accept coming on my show? And again, clearly I am deeply, deeply insecure. Uh, this is this. No, but there's something so short sighted. Why wouldn't they want you and your co-host to come on and help them create more content? for their community. Obviously the community would want it. If this is a community of people that are listening to both separate podcasts, they would really enjoy the experience of y'all talking together. You know, Jordana, I don't, I don't know. It was weird. I don't know if anybody's going to invite me on anything after this. They're just going to think I'm going to come on here and talk about my childhood and all my woes. Well, that's the good, that's what, that's going back to common ground. At least that's one thing we all have in common, right? Sure. It's true. So do you have any advice for how to to make women like us more instead of being competitive with us? Is there, do you, I mean, I know you're struggling with it just as much as the rest of us, it sounds like, but. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I have, you know, an answer for how we all come together. But I think, again, it really, I, I tend to use humor, clearly, and kindness to disarm people that make me nervous. I'm not saying that works for everyone, but for myself, if I find that someone just has a preconceived notion of me or doesn't like me or doesn't want to collaborate with me, I, for lack of a better term, my grandmother would always say, like, kill him with kindness. Yeah, and that's easier than humor because not everyone's as funny as you. <laughs> so I don't even know if I'm funny. I feel, I'm I'm so sorry. I'm on here being like, oh my god, I'm I'm really revealing a lot. You you have a great show. You're a great interviewer. I mean, my Thank god, you. like I'm gonna cry by the end of this thing. So <laughs> yeah, kill him with kindness though. Like it it is free, ninety nine to be nice to people. It just is. And when people are rude to me, I'm like, that sucks. You know, I mean, don't get me wrong. If somebody like does something wrong to me or my wife or anybody else, like I will hunt you down <laughs> and I will make you pay. But I'm also like pretty, I always kind of try to lead with being nice, you know, like how embarrassing for someone who's mean to somebody who's nice to them, right? Like, yeah. what? that doesn't really make any sense. So I think, you know, my advice would be if we could all come together with a bit of kindness, a bit of understanding, and also like from as you as we mentioned boundaries, like know your boundary. Like if this person sucks and you've tried, like move on. You know, I mean, listen, 
what happened with that past coworker was so deeply painful because we had been friends or so I had thought. And I mean, the story is so wild. I'm not really like ready to go into particulars yet. And who knows if I ever will be, but it was so hurtful. I mean, I would like lose sleep. It was almost like after watching A Star is Born. I don't know if you saw that movie, but I like couldn't sleep after that movie. I, I, I kept being like, oh my God, they were so in love. Like, oh, you know, even though Bradley Cooper's the worst, it was just like, oh God, I really, that movie hit me. But this situation hit me. I was just like, what did I do wrong? Where did things change? And I'm like, you know what? There was nothing I could have done. So that boundary of being like, okay, I did what I could. And this is the, this is, this was always going to happen. So I just have to keep my side of the street clean and know that, you know, so I always say like, you know, just start off the baseline of being nice. But nice, you know, I want to also ask what you think about this, because sometimes when we women want to be nice, it could also melt into a form of people-pleasing and meekness, right? Oh, well, right. I wonder, like, you know, when you're talking about kindness, you're not talking, you're, you're still talking about kindness with boundaries and kindness with your own kind of edge, right? Yeah, I'll give you, I'll give you an example. So this woman was awful to me at my last job. It was borderline traumatizing. Literally tried to get me fired on my wedding day. Like, um, like awful. Like, truly zero remorse. Like, just crazy. I ended up leaving that job. I have a new job now. It really changed me because I spent a lot of time, as I said, looking at myself being like, shit, what could I have done? Or what should I have done? Or how could I have seen that as it was unfolding? Or was I mean? And yeah, I think like there were some things I shouldn't have, they were never mean, but I think I was, again, I'm pretty laser focused. Like I'm not out here. Like I don't have money. You know what I mean? Like I work hard. (laughs) You know what I mean? I'm not like, it's like I work for what I've got. So like I'm focused on my life and supporting myself and helping my wife and you know, whatever. So like, yeah, sure. Maybe I was Kurt or this or whatever it might be. So when I got to my new job and how I act in my new job, the second gossip, like workplace gossip happens, I hang up the Zoom or I walk out of the room and I have a coworker who is so lovely she could not be nicer to me but I would politely refuse to go out to dinner with her for two years literally because you knew she would be engaging in office gossip no she actually well no because I was just scared it was so I just was like nope don't trust anybody I'm just gonna keep it super nice and boundaried at work and be polite and learn about people's families and you know go to the office party but I'll be the kind of like middle person there and the first one to leave I just was so and I'm I'm still quite like this I'm very boundaried I don't I just can't even give myself an inch to get into it so finally I moved to the east side of Los Angeles this co-worker lived over here and she's like please let's go out to dinner and I really didn't want to because I was scared I'm like Ugh. I really just want to keep it surface. And I'm not that kind of person. I'm just, I really am. I love having deep conversations. Like, I don't want to be surface. But I was like, fuck. So I did go out to dinner with her and I was panicked. I was like, oh my God, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? But you know what? It was lovely. I'm not going to make it a (laughs) habitual thing. Like, I really 
kept it cool. I like barely drank. You know what I mean? I was like, I must remain like with my senses and not have too much fun. But I'm able to be very boundaried, have my private life, be my private life, but still come up as my or be myself at work in the sense that I'm courteous. I'm kind. I'm very nice. But like I really will. I don't think I'm bending over backwards. I really it's the boundaries, right? It's like this is what I feel comfortable with. And this is what I'm willing how far I'm willing to go. And if not, like, no, thanks. I don't know if that was a good example. but Yeah, it's really interesting. She really left you terrified to make friends at work. Yeah. Um, and even though it seems like you're someone that wants to go deep with people, sometimes we it does make sense to have boundaries and just keep, keep a certain distance, especially if you know if, if in particular work environments. Yeah. So, yeah, you've been creating content for the queer community for a really long time. What have you learned from this history of creating queer cultural content? I think what I've learned is it's really important to have queer female content, like straight up. Like the work that you do is really, really, really important. The reality of it is, is most, quote, gay content on the Internet is geared at cis white gay male culture. We all know a top and bottom joke when we hear it and see it. We all know about a popper, you know, like truly. And I think, you know, I love working with creating and meeting um, like all the queer female meme accounts. That's been something I've, I've always really collaborated with them. Got them such a dyke. Emma's, you know, become definitely a friend of mine. I just um, connected with uh, a woman named Liza Dye who has Bette Porter Gallery, which is really specific towards the millennial Gen Z queer black female experience, which I think is really important as well to have that space. What I've learned about queer culture is that it's very nuanced and everyone has a different experience at this within the queer community, but then those subsets of communities have very specific language experiences, etc. A a queer BIPOC person is just not moving through spaces as a queer white person is. It's just it's just true. And, you know, I think understanding how um, racism plays within the queer community, how misogyny plays within the community in the queer community is really important. And I think I've learned so much by interviewing and talking to so many different people in the even in the in the gay community it's like all these different bear we all hear about you know bears and this and those communities are important to people and so that's what I've really learned is that having a lot of diverse content that it was is produced and authentic I hate the word authentic because it's like really lost its juice but I'm going to use it because I actually mean it but I think creating content that really speaks to someone and their experience is really 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 important it's so important that we have queer female shows it's so important that we have trans content like truly and not only that but like trans female like trans women content trans men content like it's super important that all of these communities have places and resources that feel right for them yeah, I, I totally agree with you. 
everyone has their own sort of flavor and they need to be represented and they need to be able to listen to voices that are speaking their language and making sense of reality together as a group. Um, and that's what's so great about podcasting and, and just the internet today that there's so much, there's so much variety out there. So for you, you talk about meme accounts. I don't necessarily have a list of ones that I could recommend. Is there for people that would love to? Oh my God. Yes. Let's hear some. Hell yeah. You mentioned Bet Porter Gallery. Bet Porter Gallery. Liza, you can tell her I sent you. God, I'm such a dyke. Emma, you can tell her I sent you. A hot Mespian. She's adorable. I just interviewed her. And are these Instagram handles? Like, where, where are these you? These are gonna- Instagram handles. Most of them have. God, I'm such a dyke, I think, is only on Instagram. That Porter is definitely on TikTok. And I mean, oh, and we can't even get into the TikTok thing. Honestly, there is so really TikTok is the gayest place I've ever been in my life. I feel very old and out of touch, but the small world I've rabbit hole I've fallen into in TikTok is there is so much queer content. So have a field day. I don't have anywhere to specifically send you, but just go down the rabbit hole. Go for it. Type in lesbian and like, and go for (laughs) be prepared to lose your whole afternoon. But, and then from just the general queer, more encompassing, I love St. Hoax. Nobody does it better. Uh, I think it's like, it's gay memes doing well. I don't know. I follow them all. You can message me, DM me and I'll send you some, but I, I love, I just like love gay memes queer memes, lesbian memes, trans memes. I'm like in it. Love it. Did you come up with any theories about like queer female content or queer female audiences from the work that you've done that you can share? Hmm. Yeah. I don't know if lesbians like me. (laughs) That's what I've learned. No, I'm like kind of joking, but I'm not. Like, you know, I feel like Listen, you know, especially with the new show, I make content for me at the end of the day. Like, I am a complicated, interesting person. I don't just live in a queer bubble. I don't live in a, I'm not a, you know, a trespasser in the straight world. I'm like all over the place. I have all different types of friends. I was like a debutante, but I probably smoked a blunt with your favorite rapper if you have one. I grew up in San Francisco in the 90s. Like, I, I... I'm a weird person. So sometimes I feel like I don't really have like a great queer audience all the time. And again, probably my insecurity. A lot of my audience with with scissoring isn't a thing and now with cool, cool, cool is primarily I think by curious women who identify as straight and are married with children in the middle of the country. And they're like, what is up with this crazy queer lady in LA? Like that I think is a lot of my audience. Um, I don't, I, you know, what a, yeah, I think that's kind of what I learned. Like I still haven't been to Dinah Shore. Have you been to Dinah Shore? I can't say that I have, unfortunately. Yeah. Terrified, full blown terrified. Like, like night sweats. I mean, I I feel like I gotta go. Like, what a what a a phony balloon I am out here making queer female content. And I've never been to Dinah Shore, but I'm like terrified. 
I, I would be so nervous. I would be a nervous wreck. But have you been to Pride? Why would it be different? I, I don't know that you've been to Pride. I'm assuming you've been to some Pride celebrations. I mean, I've been to a million Prides. What would be the difference? Pride is like straight people. Pride is like, Pride is not a lesbian pool party mecca in Palm Springs. Maybe the parade's not, but I guess there have been a bunch of, there are big parties in the cities. But I hear you. You're right. It's just, I guess, okay, yeah, because it's several days. You know what I mean? It's not like a festival in a sandbox (laughs) in the desert, you know, all lesbians from all walks. I just think I would be so, like, nervous. Pride is also so in LA. It's like all straight people. It's like, like that was, it's been so commercialized. But yeah, listen, I think, I think it's also the kinds of conversation. What I like to do with my shows is have, I want straight people to listen to queer conversations. I want white people to listen to BIPOC conversations and come away with something. Like, that's the kind of content I want to make. And so I feel like sometimes, you know, I'm not going on the microphone giving, like, gay goss every week. But I think I'm – and so the audience, I think, kind of reflects that. And it's a pretty diverse audience. But That's cool. I see. So you're kind of a – queer voice for straight people and helping be a bridge so that's cool i'm not, I'm not a very good gay no. oh <laughs> um well someone's got to do it sounds like you're doing a great job oh boy you know another thing that you are is a master of pr public relations um <laughs> and when it comes to the world of dating there's probably a lot of of skills you have that can apply so do you, can you think of any lessons that can carry over from pr that women can use to make themselves more attractive to others in the world start a rumor I'm just kidding (laughs) oh my god the stories that I planted in the press for scissoring isn't a thing will go down in the books um where I'm like oh my god this is so crazy that we're on page six how did they know yeah because I like called them the day before um you know god People always talking about like a personal brand, you know. I I would be so interested to hear what people say about me behind my back. Actually, I don't want to know. I would cry. Let's be honest. Renee says you're hilarious. Oh, Renee does? Oh, that nay-nay. Um, well, Renee is also hilarious and also a real pain in my butt. No, I love her. She's like literally my family member at this point. Um, which actually, she was on my show and she started out flirting with me. So I'm just going to say. And now I literally like sleep at her house. It's very strange. Female relationships. What a what a vibe. I would say how to relate PR to dating. God, I wish somebody had asked me that back in the day so I could have done it. I think that, again, it's like be the person you want to be. I think – networking is really hard. I'll I'll give you a quick example. I I went, I attended the Lesbians Who Tech conference a couple of times and no one would talk to me. No one, like legit no one. I ended up making one friend, her name's Paige, bless her heart. I just sent she and her wife a, a wedding gift. Congratulations to her and her wedding. Oh my God, congratulations to Paige. Like what a little sweetie baby angel. She was adorable. She was the only person that talked to me. But I, it was interesting to be in that kind of space because I really saw like, you know, it's like Kara Swisher and like, you know, Jane Lynch and then all these other kind of, you know, tech lesbians that really had reputations of being a go-getter or this or that. I'm like, wow, that's really cool. 
I really want to talk to them. And then I didn't really find them approachable. So I was like, oh, I can't really get to know them. But I guess I would say from a PR perspective, it's like, who do you want to be? Like if you're living in your town and there aren't that many other lesbian folks, because I, I do understand the privilege of living uh, in a coastal town and, and how many out people, you know, dating pool is a little bigger, right? But it's like, who do you want to be? Do you want to be known as like the person that always shows up on time? Or like, do you want to be known as like the person you could always, you know, hey, maybe the date didn't work out, but like y'all are friends or like, I don't know. I, I mean, again, it was, maybe I'm not answering this right, but I think it's like really being like, how do you want people to talk about you behind your back? You know, is what I would say. I like that. It's sort of like owning your story. Um, and then how do you apply that advice? I think it's, I think it's a great, I think it's a great way to start. It's a tough question. Like, how do you want people to talk about you behind your back? Well, how do you then execute on that? How do you make it yeah. so that they do talk about you that way behind your back? I, I think you're only as good as your last interaction with somebody, you know, sometimes it's hard if you don't have that, like, deep long relationship it's like hard to backtrack sometimes so it's like how do you want people to talk about you behind your back again I I don't know what people say behind my back but I know that the way that I speak to you on this podcast and the way that I when I hang up with you and have to like race back to work and the way that if my mother unfortunately calls me after she's had three martinis this afternoon I will be the same person all the time Always like there isn't I mean, sometimes I get a little crazy corporate with my emails. Let me tell you, I love a per my last email email. Um, But I'm pretty much the same person all the time. So I think that consistency, you know, helps with my personal PR, which is she's emotional, but and always two minutes late for a Zoom. All right. I like it. Um, Own your story and be consistent and I think that sounds like a great place to start I love it um speaking of emails you talk about being famous for your cold emails and you know for anyone who wants to create success in their life uh you you sound like you're really just like a self-made person in everything you do what advice do you have for for making other people want to connect with you and for for how women who want to get ahead can can reach out to people in a way that isn't cringe that makes people actually want to connect with you. Right. Guess what? You're going to say some weird cringe. I say cringe shit every day. Like, for real. I mean, I'm also, I bet you my wife's like been listening to this interview and she can't hear you, so she'll probably clown me when I come out of the uh, of the den. You're never going to get it right. It's never going to be perfect. And it's okay. I just interviewed, this is a perfect example. I just interviewed Becky Robinson, who is an, actually another queer creator, late in life, coming out lesbian. She is a comedian, voiceover actor. She's so funny. She has a character called the Entitled Housewife. I have been a psycho fan of hers for years, before she even came out. And I kept cold emailing her to come on Scissoring Isn't a Thing. Over and over. My listeners would comment on her. Like, how cringe is that? Like, my army of (laughs) women would, like, literally comment on her thing, on her videos on Instagram and on TikTok and be like, you should have Liz Coley. Like, pretty cringe, you know? It's like asking your mom to, like... Do you think she wasn't writing back to you back then because she was nervous to be on a a queer podcast when she wasn't out yet? 
potentially, which is also why Scissoring Isn't a Thing was the worst name ever for a podcast because I had to like explain people off the ledge that it wasn't a sex podcast. Um, yes. And so I find, so she just released a podcast with her best friend from growing up. I, I listened to it. I emailed them and said, I'm wanting to do a, a podcast about friendship. I didn't even mention, I almost did, but I didn't even mention like, hey, I'm a stalker and I have emailed you five times, five, five times over the last three years. Didn't mention it. I just was like, hey, I'm a fan of the show. I'm putting together a, my own show about friendships. I would love to have you on. They emailed me, Becky emailed me back within 30 minutes. Had her on the show. Obviously, I love to make fun of myself. And I was like, hi, so I'm a psycho. And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I realized after, <laughs> like afterward, when I went to go respond to you, how many times you had emailed me. I'm so sorry. I was like, listen, it's okay. And she said, just like you were saying, Jordana, like I wasn't ready. I was worried it was a sex podcast. I was building my brand. So it just didn't feel right for me totally fine but I really never gave up and I had her on and it was amazing I'm actually having dinner with her next week classic right I mean and that's what I mean by being the queen of the cold email I here guess what closed mouths don't get fed if they don't message you back okay who cares you message them I think being to the point it kills me when people long write emails I mean I started my career in sales after I was a producer for quite some time and in producing, I booked all my own talent. I was messaging really famous people, super famous people, being like, hi, I'm Liz. I work in MySpace. Will you, like, come on my show called Getting Nailed and Get Your Nails Done With Me? And I didn't hear, like, I was emailing people, like, straight up Lady Gaga and Katy Perry. Didn't hear back. But sometimes I would. Sometimes they'd be like, hey, looping in my assistant basically to tell me no, which is totally fine. But it's that practice and it's not giving up. And it, sometimes you are going to have to email somebody a couple of times. I would say be, you know, clear in what the ask is. Don't ask somebody for too much. Like straight up, don't. If you're looking to get an introduction for a job, if you want an introduction to a fine-ass girl you saw on the dance floor and you know their homie, don't be asking for a full dinner. Be like, yo, Susie, I know you know Emily. Would you be down to meet up, you know, or I see there's a party and it looks like you guys both responded yes on Facebook. I'd love to say hi when you guys are there. Cool if I text you. You know what I mean? Like be clear. Don't ask for too much up front. Be clear in what your ask is. Hey, Jordana, would you come on cool, cool, cool? It will only take 30 minutes of your time. Here is the link. These are the questions that I want to ask you. And, you know, the, I uh, had Renee, Renee Stubbs literally calls me every day. Boom. You know, I mean, clear couple of sentences. And you know what? There's no big deal in following up. Now, should I have emailed Becky Robinson five times? Eh, probably not. That was a lot. But whatever. But guess what? I emailed her again and the sixth time worked. Yeah, and also it sounds like when you did it the sixth time, you really like met her in her own reality a little bit where yep. she was focused on friendship. You came in on friendship, so you were really speaking her own language and asking her to speak to something that she already herself clearly had her own passions about. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, 
I'm putting together an interview even though I don't really do the Bravo stuff anymore, I do have a friend who's a housewife and I do, I love her and I do want her on my show. And I was like, listen, I know you can't, I know you're not supposed to do this interview. I know you're not allowed to talk about the reunion. I, like, you have a new book coming out. We can focus on the book. Are you down? And she was like, yeah, dude, let's just book it through me. Like, don't even involve Bravo. Like, thank you so much for being so clear. And I'm going to respect that boundary. Like, do I want to ask her if she thinks Jen Shah is guilty? Doy. Because, I mean, she is guilty. I don't know if there was any thinking involved anymore. But I'm going to be, like, respectful. And I'm not going to ask some crazy-ass questions that, like, weren't greenlit, you know? Which is then building my brand of somebody people can trust which is something I've done in my interview career because I've had a lot of people say things that they should not have said on air. And I either check with someone or if I'm being honest with you, I protect my reputation and I protect them and I will remove it. If somebody says something crazy on my show and they didn't realize it, I mean, half of scissoring was me editing everyone to make them seem less cringe, myself included. <laughs> so yeah and uh the more you make other people look good the more they want to come back totally and reconnect yeah i think that's so um i think that's great advice for a self-made person like you if you had to start over again and start from nothing for people that are sort of feeling stuck in their life and starting from nothing what advice would you have like what would you do first to find opportunities in this world do you mean professionally or personally what do you mean starting from not like probably professionally because it seems like you've really brought yourself to you know the place that you are sure oh my god I mean I wish I like knew how to code <laughs> that's one I you know listen I was in a situation where I had to really work during school it took me a bajillion years I was angry about that so I didn't get my feet wet in, quote, corporate America early and really had to kind of make up for a lot of lost time. So I think that if I were to be able to do it over again, I wouldn't do too much differently because I feel like working as a bartender, being a nanny, being a lifeguard, like what the fuck else do I do? Being a line cook, being a dishwasher, being like, I mean, what an assistant. I mean, I've done everything. I think all of those things have actually made me a much better producer, a much better writer, a much better salesperson, marketer, you know, whatever. So I, I think my advice would be try some things. I tried a lot. I did a lot of different things. I, If you had told me when I was producing that I would be like head of sales, I'd be like, what? That's so lame. No way. But I am. I mean, I really wish I knew how to use Excel better because <laughs> I don't. So take a G or a, you know, a, Word, a Microsoft suite class. That would be definitely something I would suggest. But I think trying new things, not being fail, not being fearful of failing is some advice I would give because I wasn't. And I, if I think if I went back, I would still do it the same because, yeah, that's what I would say. Great, yeah. Try lots of stuff. Don't be afraid to not be perfect. Those are great. Before we close up, is there any other advice you wish every woman could know for ways they could make their life better, change for the better? Oh, be kind to yourself. I'm, I really struggle with it. I am not nice to myself, and that's not good. And I think that 
you can really feel people's confidence. You can really feel, I think like love radiates. I think, you know, I struggle with depression and anxiety. It took me a long, long time to get on medication and that is working for me right now. I spent a lot of time chasing what I thought I was supposed to be and what I was supposed to look like. And my advice would be like, take the time, like take the time to be kind to yourself and learn things that make you feel happy by yourself because no amount of money or school or fucking family dynamic like all that stuff whatever it you know it, it it's it comes and it goes it's it's there's so many varying factors into what's around you and I maybe this is like a very corny answer but I really do think it's like you gotta take time for yourself so that's what I, 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 and I'm not perfect at that. And I'm really, you know, trying and, and mental health stuff is expensive. And I, I understand the, the, the privilege that I'm in now to be able to afford mental health, but I wasn't, I wasn't for a long time. And I, you know, I now have the tools to really understand how to try to be the happiest version of myself that I can. And I think it's just, it's really taking time for yourself and being kind to yourself. And it's a practice. It's not like an overnight thing. Yeah. It's beautiful. Is there anything else you'd want to share before we wrap? Um, hmm, no, thank you. I hope I did. Okay. You're amazing. Where should everyone go to follow you on the socials oh. and where can they find your show? What, what are the different places people go to? Okay, here we go, everybody. I'm at listen to Liz. Follow me there on Instagram, TikTok. I'm not really on TikTok, guys. I, I'm, I'm not ready. I, I'm sort of there, but not. But li Instagram is really the place. Um, at listen to Liz. I have a my dog. Sorry, that's ravioli, you guys. It's like she's my child. So you can find me at Listen to Liz or if you want to follow the show, it's at Cool Cool Cool. It's a fun Instagram where I just put a lot of like gay stuff and at new episodes every Thursday. I have a Patreon where I do lots of exclusive content, lots of interviews. I love talking to people. So I really use Patreon and Instagram as a way to talk back and forth to people. Um, yeah. All right. <laughs> So follow Liz in those places. Check out her show. She's hilarious as by this point, if you're still listening, you've already easily figured out for yourself. And thank you so, so, so much for coming on the show. This was really great for me. I had a lot of fun. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you like this episode, please subscribe, share it with a friend, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you want lesbian dating advice from me more often, Follow me on Instagram at jordana.michelle. Also, don't forget that womenwantingwomen.com is packed with free resources that can help you build your confidence and have more success with dating. While you're there, you can book a one-on-one -on -one coaching session with me to get my personal support in finding the love you long for. Until next time, keep remembering that hot lesbians are everywhere, that love is real, and that the woman of your dreams is on her way into your life in perfect timing. And I'll catch you next time on Women Wanting Women.